This episode of The Luminaries on Deep in the Weeds is proudly supported by Deputy, rostering and timesheets without the usual chaos. I dug my heels in from there. I was like, all right, this is it. This is, you know, this is Louis Tickeron. This is go. And, um, you know, and it's... <laughs> and then these guys come along and they go, oh, why? <laughs> why are you making me choose? <laughs> This is The Luminaries on the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Rolling the dice, taking a chance with nothing to lose. Some people have an amazing ability to maintain the mindset of nothing to lose, throwing themselves in the deep end and learning to sink or swim. For those brave enough to risk it all for reward, the outcomes can be incredible. Louis Tikaram is the executive chef of Stanley's in Brisbane. Louis, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Good to see, good to talk to you. <laughs> I wish we could see each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've um, you've been a real sort of um, adventurous, sort of taking risks, rolling the dice, sort of nothing to lose, sort of attitude as a chef in your career, and it's it's opened some pretty incredible doors for you. Has there been sort of positives and negatives with this sort of mindset that you have? Um, it's kind of funny you say that because I only really only noticed that I do that kind of, um, quite recently, actually, like when I moved to LA and things like that. And I kind of tend to, I just, then I just realized I've been kind of doing it my whole life. Like when I was in primary school, I asked my parents, Oh, can I go to, you know, there was, we will kind of smack bang in the middle of two primary schools and. I said, oh, can I try, you know, that primary school? And then I kind of did it in high school as well. And I don't know, I've just always, and I've just loved like making new friends, you know, seeing new things and, you know, and, and so I've always kind of been in that mindset without even quite kind of realizing it till, till quite recently. But um, to be honest, it's, yeah, it's, I, I, it's only been positive. It's, it's been, uh, you know, it's, yeah, I can't, I can't really think of anything negative about it for sure. Well, even with that mindset, it does create um, challenges and um, and hurdles and and things that you need to overcome. Even once you step through that door, um, take us back to when you were young. You you grew up um, in northern New South Wales. Um, what was it like for you that sort of step into food? <laughs> it was um, it was pretty amazing, and it's. Um you know, like I, I, I started washing dishes and that's really was my first step into a real restaurant. Um, my grandmother's uh, Fijian Chinese and my grandfather's Fijian Indian. So food was always a huge part of, um, of growing up, you know, in, in the family. And, um, you know, we lived in Mullumbimby in Northern New South Wales, but would go back to Fiji a lot. And, uh, and that's kind of thing where I really appreciated food where, you know, that when, when we we're in Fiji, there wasn't any TV, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't anything to do. So food was everything. It was like I could wake up in the morning and smell my grandmother cooking already, you know, like, and that was, that was her, that breakfast and she would cook lunch, then she would cook dinner and then we'll clean up and she would go to bed and she would get up and she'd do it the next day, you know, and that was it. That was her, you know, like, and that was for everyone to sit around that table 
and to talk and eat and share and 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 you know that was that was the form of entertainment for for the day and for the evening yeah so you know and another you know and then I really to be honest I just started washing dishes because I needed the job um so it was very kind of serendipitous and then I got into the restaurant and um and I kind of already knew the flavors I knew cumin I knew coriander I knew turmeric I knew you know all chilies and spices and um I was actually washing dishes in a in a Thai restaurant and uh and from washing dishes led me to cooking when um one of the one of the um you know chefs didn't turn up and it opened a door and then I just you know jumped on the and and started cooking and you know and that's how it really I was just catapulted you know into into you know the food world the story of your trip from the area you grew up to Sydney really sort of embodies this nothing to lose sort of a mindset that you have. Can you, can you tell us that move you made to, to Sydney and, and the impact it had on you? Yeah. Well, you know, and then that was the, you know, and then I, I was, I've always loved very complex and punchy and flavorsome food, you know, growing up in, in that household and then I started cooking this Thai food and I was like, holy moly, like this is, you know, there's tamarind and fish sauce and soy sauce and chilies and, you know, like everything you could imagine and then just balled up into this just powerful flavours and I was like, wow. So, you know, and then I turned 18 in school when I was washing dishes and um, I went up and I was in the beach hotel in Byron after work one day and um this the beach hotel had original restaurant in there was Finn's one of Steve Steve Snow's restaurant and you know this was I think it was a I think then it was a two hat restaurant, you know, this is early two thousands and it was kind of really big on the scene and uh I was sitting there at the bar but I didn't really know anything about that at this point. I just saw these, you know, chefs come out of the kitchen and they kind of look like rock stars and they came around to the locals bar in 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 the beachy and one guy sat next to me and you know we started chatting and I told him I was cooking and I worked in a Thai restaurant in Ocean Shores and he said to me just kind of out of the blue I was like oh um you know if, if you like Thai food you should go to Sydney to this restaurant it's called Long Grain it's uh you know it's just one best Asian restaurant it's one uh you know a big wine list of the year it's got two hats and I was like, oh, you're very naive. You know? I was like, oh, wow, Long Grain sounds great. It's probably similar to Gecko Thai where I work, you know, Ocean Shores in the, in the Bilo car park, you know. Like, I was like, oh, okay, this cool. That sounds good, Long Grain, all right. So I kind of went home that night and, um, like, honestly, like, yeah, just what you're saying, it's kind of funny talking about it. I just didn't, I didn't really think about the challenge. I didn't really think about how naive I was. I didn't really think how it was going to work. I just said to my parents, I said, I think I'm going to move to Sydney and I'm going to try and get a job at this long grain. And my mum just like burst out in tears. She's like, why are you leaving? Where are you? And literally within a couple of days, I packed my car and I left and that was it. And um, my brother was going to Sydney Uni at the time. So I got to his house on Abercrombie Street in Chippendale. And um, I, I, I parked my car around the back and then I went inside and caught up with him. And then the next day I went off to this long grain and uh, <laughs> I never, honestly, I've never stepped foot in a, inside of a good restaurant. You know, I've, the only restaurants I'd ever been to were, 
you know, like just real rinky-dink kind of mum and pop or, you know, mullum Chinese or, you know, like that, that was that was my upbringing. It was, you know, lived out on a big farm in, in, in Mullumbimby and we didn't really, you know, do too much of that. So I got to this restaurant and these big, beautiful glass doors and windows and I walked in and, and um, this woman stopped me right at the front. She's like, hello. And I was like, oh. Yeah, go tell you. you can just walk straight in, you know. Like, and she was like, "Oh, what, do you, are you here to see someone?" I said, "Oh, I'm here looking for a job." And she said, "Oh, does anyone know you're coming?" And I said, "Oh, no. Like, you know, I'm just just a restaurant, right? Like, geez, why are you so uptight?" And um, she said, "Okay, I'll get the chef." And um, and then that's when I was waiting out in the dining room, and and Martin Bowitz came around the corner in his chef whites, tea towel over his shoulder, and he um, he kind of just said, "Yep, what do you want?" And I said, oh, I'm here looking for, I just moved from Mullumbimba. I think that's as far as I got. <laughs> and he was like, what? Like, what are you talking about? I said, oh, I'm just looking for a job. And he's like, no, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing going on here. So, you know, and that was kind of, um, that. Uh, and then actually now thinking about it, now you mentioned it, that's when I was like, ah, shit, um, what, have I, what have I done here? So I think, yeah, that's like leading, yeah, thinking about it now, that was probably one, one, one time I was like, uh, was this a good idea? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it was that, that wiped the smile off my face pretty quickly. Um, yeah, so then, you know, I went home, went to my brother's house, and he said, what happened? I said, oh, no, it didn't go too great. And I said, okay, he said, what, what, what are you going to do? I said, oh, I'll just go back tomorrow. I'll see what happens. So same thing, got up went back <laughs> and then the same thing happened again and then I got back to my brothers again um, and he said what happened and I said oh same thing and he goes mate well you're not staying on my couch forever so you better sort it out <laughs> I said okay I'm gonna go back tomorrow and I went back the third day and Marty came out again and he goes Jesus you're a persistent little thing aren't you I was like oh you know like this is well basically I had in my head I haven't really thought about it, so this is my only shot. <laughs> so, and then yeah, and then that was it. So and then he took me in and 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 uh, gave me a job and bought me and bought me a chef coat and bought me a knife and uh, yeah. Fast forward ten years, I was I was uh, I was head chef. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty wild the the uh, rising through the ranks there and and becoming head chef. Um, do you have any stories of those early days of what it was like in that kitchen for you having sort of only experienced the kitchens of Mullumbimby? Yeah, well, you know, this was, and I think this is, you know, I always say, you know, every, every chef is a bit a bit wacky, you know what I mean? You have to be a bit wacky to make it. So, And I just think back and I just try to pinpoint like, you know, why did I love it so much and how did I just stick it out and why did I love, you know, working 60, 70 hours a week when I'd never even done it before, you know, it was just completely, completely new. And I was just, I was addicted to it. And I just, you know, like from that first day, I I stepped in foot in that kitchen and I think maybe it was, you know, people um, not being nice to me and uh, having to earn that respect, um, I think was a really big part of, why I succeeded and I wasn't just going to say, oh, this is too hard and these guys are assholes and no one like, I was like, no, I want to, you know, I want to, I want to show these guys. I want, I want to, I want, really, I think it was, it was, I want to be them. 
I want to be a good chef. I want to be a leader. I want to be successful. And that's really, I think, what, um, you know, really pushed me to, um, to succeed. And, you know, my first day, it was, I remember I cut myself probably six times. Like my hands were like covered in band-aids. <laughs> I was bleeding. And, but I was too, I didn't tell him I was too embarrassed. I just go to the, and tape, tape myself up and get back out there and, and so it was just a really steep learning curve for me, you know. I, I made curry pastes every day. Um, you know, people would just come and just dump these big pots of pork cock that were braising and, you know, just uh, peeled prawns and, I, you know, peeled galangal and lemongrass. And I just had, you know, shit shoveled on me every single day. <laughs> and, um, you know, like, you know, and out the back with me, it's a pretty funny story, a pretty amazing story now to tell it, you know, this this other fresh kind of, he was, he was more experienced than me, but fresh to the country kind of bright-eyed and bushy-tailed chef next to me out the back in this room where we were just getting shit dumped on us was uh, Luke Powell. And he had just moved from New Zealand. Uh, he had just moved from, from the... Uh, from the uh, from the lower hut in New Wellington, from New Zealand, and and uh, when I came back, it's a funny story. When I came back from chopping myself up a hundred times, he saw it. You know, he saw me go and tape it up. I've never really told anyone this. And uh, he goes, he looks at me and then looks at my fingers, and he goes, "Oh boy, you give yourself the chop." <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> oh, "Oh yes, nothing. Don't worry about it." You know, like, and then from kind of that moment on, we were. We were friends, you know, we've been friends ever since. And, uh, you know, just looking at this guy, this cool guy, you know, he could, he had knife skills. He could, you know, he's chopping his ginger. He was, you know, just had such swag and charisma and style, you know, and that, that's who I looked at. And I was like, oh man, this is like, I want to be one of these guys, you know, I want to be a chef. I want to be, you know, just one of these badass knife wielding kind of, you know, like, and um, I think that's what it was. I think it's the camaraderie and the friendship and the support and, um, you know, that really made me fall in love with, with the industry. I love cooking. I love flavors and I love eating, but it was really the, the friendship and the support that I received in that kitchen that, that made me fall in love with it and made me want to become a leader and to one day pass that on to chefs under me as well so that's kind of been my main goal to 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 put that feeling into to young cooks and to into young boys and girls that you know to, to show them that you can make something of yourself you know like through this industry the the time that you spent in sydney there was a detour that you made with a couple of restaurants before coming back to being head chef at long grain the likes of tetsuya's you've worked at uh, bentley the original bentley as well. Well, well do you have any stories of the experiences you had with those uh bentley was it was uh you know bentley was the the one that really uh it was the one that really kind of took me to that next level and to, to, um, that showed me the dedication and the passion that you need to be able to succeed in the Sydney food scene, you know, like, uh, you know, when we, when we opened, I, 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 um, I was just, I'd only been working at Long Grain a couple of years and I only knew Asian food cause that was it. I went from Gecko Tide to Long Grain and, 
it was just I knew how to toss a walk and I knew curries and I knew how to chop as fine as possible, you know, and um, and that was kind of it, just knife skills. had. So then when I got to Bentley, I um, – uh, it was it was quite difficult to, to 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 cook, you know, European food and to saute and to, you know, like um do do all these different types of techniques and slow braising and stocks and jus and sauces and purees and you know so roasting, you know, we didn't roast anything at Long Grain, so it was um <laughs> that was you know if, if that they, if that back room at long grain was was hard like bentley was was much harder it was a very very small team um it was a very intense environment with such a small team one person one section lunch and dinner if you fell behind or if you messed up it was the the whole kitchen and the whole reputation of the restaurant would go down you know and that that was you know that was the the responsibility that was put on us. And um, that's when I became really good friends with Dan Hong. He was the, he was the sous chef and we had a lot in common. We had, we loved basketball and hip hop and skateboarding. And, um, you know, like uh, we did a, we did a lot in common and I don't know why he took to me because I was such a kook in the kitchen but uh, he kind of, he kind of, he knew. I think the thing is, he knew I cared, and he knew I wanted to do better, and um, he supported me a lot um, in that kitchen, along with Brandt and and the other chefs. But you know, and that's when I think he could tell, and and I did. I improved. I, I ended up, you know, he he won the Josephine Pinillet Young Chef of the Year, and he went to New York to stage at. at at um, WD50, and um, when he left, I took over source section, um, and that was a massive achievement for me. That was a big. I never thought walking in that kitchen. I never thought I was ever going to to um, to, 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 to take over that section. And when when he won that, and he went on his trip to stage, I took over, and yeah, and I just went hell for leather, and I really wanted to make sure I could succeed, and and. Um, you know, keep keep the section afloat while it was gone. You've worked with some incredible chefs in your time. What was it like in the brigade at Tetsuya's? Oh, that was pretty amazing. That was, um, you know, that was cool. And then uh, from Bentley, I, I went to, you know, that's me and me and Luke staying in touch. Luke was the the sous chef at, at Tets, and my I always wanted to travel the world. Like traveling the world was my, you know, that's I probably saved the first. Ten dollars my my grandfather ever gave me as a kid to to one day be able to just travel and um, I knew I had to get you know a, a international name under my belt if I wanted to go to New York and Barcelona and and I knew Tets at this time Tets was the fourth best restaurant in the world and I knew Tets was you know the one that could you know hone my skills in that really refined style of cooking. I've only cooked really kind of slam bam, you know, crazy services, you know. <laughs> so I knew that was the one that could teach me consistency, and um, and so I joined the joined the team at Tets, and that was just amongst you know some of the you know now in the Australian food scene some of the you know the the top chefs you know that have just been before me or just or been after me or during my time there you know like. 
Dan Puskas and Phil Wood and Mikey Clift and Luke Powell and Dan Robinson and Dan Pepperell and Hongi and Jow and, you know, like everyone, you know. So that was kind of almost like, uh, you know, Thomas Lim, who's in L.A. now, you know. We, we all passed through there, you know, and it was quite cool. There was always – it was quite cool to be a, you know, a member of one of those um, – you know, just one of those main veins in the in the city dining scene. You know, you had the Rockpool guys, you had the Tets guys, you had the Bank and the Bacass guys, and you know, it was it was it was quite cool to 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 be to be you know finally in one of those one of those crews. So um, yeah, and that was an, an amazing experience as well, and really takes so many skills I I learnt from there. You know, now even running Stanley. Um, you know, just the consistency and, you know, the first dish is just as perfect and, and just as refined as the, as the last dish, you know, at the end of the night. And, you know, it was good. It was, it was a good, it was a good slap in the face for me. You know, I feel like working there with a big team as well. Um, it's kind of what I needed to, to set myself up to, to lead uh, my own restaurants and to also travel and, and stage in restaurants as well. How did you end up back at Long Grain in the role as head chef? <laughs> that was a pretty funny story. Um, there were lots of funny stories. <laughs> <laughs> so after Tets, I set off and I, I went and I did travel. I did everything I wanted and I was gone for two years and I worked in New York and Vancouver and traveled around and, and traveled through Europe and Southeast Asia and and then I got home, and I was kind of, kind of pretty. Uh, I was pretty low key. I'd been away for, you know, lots of it was backpacking and kind of, you know, going a bit crazy and kind of southern Europe and things like that. So you know, I got I got home and I kept it pretty pretty low key. Um, and I was staying at my auntie's place in Potts Point. And a couple, I think it was the day after I landed, I went, I was like, oh, you wouldn't mind like a nice you know, Sydney coffee and, you know, go and hang out. And it's, it was nice weather. And then walked up McClay Street and bam, who do I see? Marty, straight in front of me. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Why didn't you tell me you were back? What are you, where are you working? Hello, hello, Marty. I just got back. Literally, I'm just like so jet lagged, just dreadlocks in my hair, like, you know, like everything. And he goes, I've come to Long Grain. I want to, I want to show you something. Come and come, and come at two o'clock. And I said, okay. And I thought it'd be nice to go back and see everyone. And I went back and it was like, literally, you know, like there was a scaffolding outside and, um, there was all, you know, construction going on and they, after 10, I think maybe 15 years, they were giving Long Range just a massive facelift and renovating downstairs and building a big bar and all new beautiful banquet seating and big tables upstairs. And he took me, you know, did the whole hard hat tour and showed me around and I was like, wow, this is like, you know, epic. And he said to me, he said, oh, so what do you think? I said, yeah, it's good. Like, I think it's amazing. Like, it's really – no, he goes, no, what do you really think? And I said, oh, no, it's great. Yeah, and he goes, no, do you want it? Do you want to run it? <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, you know, and that was like a really big thing for me while I was, you know, like um, traveling around and backpacking, There, you know, across my mind a lot of times, like, 
did I just throw everything away back in Sydney? Did I go from a, you know, like a curry paste maker to a, you know, to a, to a CDP in, in, you know, in that time. And did I throw it all away? And am I going to go have to go back again to the bottom of the ladder and work my way up if I want to, you know, like become a sous chef or, or something like that one day. And, um, you know, and that's another one, you know, it's coming back. It's, you're making me think like, you know, that's another one. I just threw caution to the wind and I kind of thought it'll, it'll, you know, it'll all work itself out. But I wouldn't be bad. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have hated going back and going on a section and working my way back up. But I just kind of, I just, you know, I did it and I came back and, you know, and that's what I was thinking. And then Marty to just say, do you want to be a head chef? Like within eight hours of being back in the country, um, was just, you know, it was just an, an amazing, I just got, you know, goosebumps and shivers down my spine and, and literally the next day I suited up and I, um, <laughs> I went into Long Grain and we started to prepare menus for the downstairs, uh, short grain, a takeaway canteen and a bar menu for the, the big bar that opened and a re kind of jig of the, upstairs menu with new kind of cool room facilities and dry aging and, you know, new production stuff. So, and then that was just the, the next part of my life. And then, yeah, we just, just went in like hot and heavy to back into long grain as head chef. And, um, yeah, it's just like a whole, I think it was a new, you know, what they wanted as well, you know, it was a new chapter of long grain and it was a fun, kind of bar downstairs and just a whole nother, another life that I was helped, I was helped kind of making possible for them, which was cool. This episode of the Luminaries on Deep in the Weeds is proudly supported by Deputy, helping managers and staff do their best work. Hospitality is all about the connection. A business starts with passion, but gets bogged down with all the complexities that come with life, society, and rules. If you can simplify this mundane, then people can be happy and they can thrive. And when you have happy staff members and happy managers, your customers will sense it. They'll be happy. And you create that connection. That connection is hospitality is about. For more information, go to deputy.com. You did amazing things at Long Grain, but you eventually got a gig in, in LA and you ended up being named as one of the chefs to watch in the US. It was a pretty massive change. How did that happen? Um, yeah, that was, uh, you know, after after four years of, of running Long Grain, um, uh, yeah, just I got approached by, you know, these a couple of kind of, good-looking roosters, um, you know, <laughs> kind of, you know, and it was just like this crazy offer. It was like, listen, we, that, I just won the Josephine Pinulet Young Chef of the Year. That was that was it and things were kind of popping off and I got long grain back to two hearts and, you know, it was all it was all going and, and that was my life, you know. That was – I had – I dug my heels in from there. I was like, all right, this is it. This is, you know, this is Louis Tickeron. This is go. And, um, you know, and it's, <laughs> and then these guys come along and they go, oh, why, <laughs> why are you making me choose? <laughs> it 
And, you know, they, they, they offered, they said, listen, we love what you're doing. We love this food. We love this style. Just zingy, zesty, fresh, funky music, DJ, cocktail, sharing, you know, good looking people kind of hanging around, you know, like, and that was it, you know, like, and I said, oh, yeah, cool. And I said, listen, we've got this site in L.A. We want you to come and check it out and we would love you to come and, and, and you know, do something like this over there. So, it was, um, and I just, I just, I don't know. I just kind of, I didn't, I think one of my kind of defense mechanisms is, is just like not getting too invested. I mean, like, okay. And I was like, okay, you know, like if you want to fly me over and we'll take a little look and I'll see if I can do it, we can do it, you know, but I was just absolutely, you know, set on long run, you know, I was just like, okay. And, um, so we then all of a sudden they said, okay, let, just let us know, email address, this, that, that. And the ticket came through to LA, boom. And um, I, I flew over and and the, America had always been, you know, like just talking about me and Hongi and Bentley, you know, like America is just, you know, for me it was I'm a, I'm a skater, I'm a surfer, I'm a, a basketball fan, I'm West Coast hip hop, like it's just the LA, especially, was like the the mecca, the epicenter of everything I was into. Um, streetwear, sneakers, you know. So flew over. I don't know anything about LA at this point of time. It's like yeah, it's on the corner of Melrose and La Cienega in West Hollywood. I'm like, okay, that could be Chino Hills for as I know, you know. Like it's like <laughs> I was like, okay, so flew over and we went and just saw this most amazing new build, just this three-story on this iconic corner um, right in the middle, you know, this like there's designer labels around it, cool cafes, just these, you know, high-end like luxury cars rolling around, just celebrities and paparazzi on the street. Yeah, and it was just like, oh, wow. And it was just plywood and some steel and some stairs and that was it. And, um, I just, you know, I just didn't look back. I just said, okay, sign me up. What are we going to do? I went around and (laughs) so, um, yeah, I came back, I I signed, uh, this contract I came back and then I was just like, so we just got married. We just bought this apartment in Sydney I was a head chef. Everything was just, you know, like going in this kind of, you know, amazingly dreamy kind of direction of my life. And I got back and I said to my my new wife and I said, oh, I signed a, I signed a contract for us to move to L.A. <laughs> so uh, what? <laughs> And, um, yeah, and that was, you know, and so the good thing was it was still kind of early days, so I could give the guys at work, you know, a really good good heads up. And um, I, I the, my sous chef took over and, um, you know, we're still really great friends with Marty and Sam at Long Rain, but, you know, it was just like, it was just this opportunity came up and I just knew that if I didn't open the door, you know, people would stop knocking. So, you know, I did that and that truly, you know, all these different stories I tell you that, you know, um, you know, this helped me and this kind of got me places and that changed my life where that, that move, that move really changed my life, changed, changed everything. You know, that, that move was, uh, was massive and opening that restaurant and 
the success of the restaurant and um, everything that kind of came with it. That was the, you know, that was the, the pivotal turning point. Yeah, for sure. What did you take from your time in, in LA and, and um, cooking there as well? Um, I think just probably just being, um, just kind of being cooking and, and just being myself. Um, I feel like that was probably what I did in LA the best and really what I didn't change and was actually ended up, even though people thought it was a stupid move or it was uh, a move that was destined for failure, actually set me apart from all the other restaurants and all the other styles of cuisine and food and service that ultimately then shined a spotlight on our restaurant and made it, you know, one of the busiest restaurants in, in West Hollywood. So um, I just think, you know, I, I just said to, I said to someone when I was over there, I was like, I'm not going to move halfway across the world from a job I loved, from a team I loved, from a restaurant I loved, from a, from a life I loved to not cook the food that, I want to cook and, and cook the food that I want to eat. I, I would have just rather stay in Sydney and, and, and done it there. So that's was my, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't have the feeling like I had nothing to lose. I kind of had everything to lose. I had, I loved, I loved living in Sydney and I loved running that restaurant. So I literally had everything to lose. And um, I really, yeah, just, just wanted to, to, to stay true to the cuisine that I really enjoyed where EP was kind of cool because it was um, it was a Southeast Asian food that I loved, but it was the first chance I could get to kind of cook some dishes that my grandmother taught me as a as a child. Where you know when I was at Long Rain, it was kind of more Marty. You know, worked under David Thompson, which ran Darley Street. So I didn't really want to stray away from Thai cuisine too much because I was almost handed a responsibility through the generations to, to continue this legacy of, um, I feel of almost like, uh, <laughs> almost non-Thai people cooking Thai, you know, but, but who truly understand it and who truly have a palate that can, that can execute it. Um, so when I got to Los Angeles, I was like, wow, this is an opportunity now where I can, integrate you know some chinese flavors from my chinese fijian grandmother and some indian style flavors from my Fijian indian grandfather and and stay and and still the the food and the cuisine that i fell in love with traveling southeast asia but not necessarily thai i could venture in some nook jams and some you know some vietnamese flavors as well so that was really cool and it was um it, it made every menu change and every day a really fun um, kind of uh, bending the boundaries menu, which kind of like was exciting for me. And I feel like that excitement and that passion kind of translated through the menu and then to the customers as well, them trying things that they've never tried before as well. Brisbane's food scene has evolved incredibly over the last decade and you've been a big part of that over the last couple of years. But how, how did you go from that environment where you really found yourself as a chef and we were making a huge impact in the States to moving to, to Brisbane? Um, I just really, yeah, I, I, um, a, big, a, big, a big part of it was, you know, I'm always, I've always been like a, a Mullumbimby boy at heart. Um, 
And I think that that's like it jumps back to just staying true to to who I am and to, you know, what makes me happy. And, um, you know, at this point in time, we had already had one of my daughters in, uh, in, in LA and, um, actually a really good friend of mine came to, to EP Jonathan Barthelmas, who's got Apollo and, um, and, uh, Chocho son in Sydney. And he just opened Greca at Howard Smith Wharves in Brisbane and he's, he, he told me, he goes, oh, Louie, mate, I've opened this restaurant in Brisbane and it's just gangbusters. And I said, Brisbane? What? <laughs> I said, mate, tell me, I know they're free pouring the cocktails here, but you know, you... <laughs> And I said, Brisbane's going off, really? And he goes, mate, it's just like, you know, the produce, the, the customer base, the clientele, like working for these amazing guys at – you know how Smith was and this and that and, and I was like, Wow and he's originally from Burley and his his parents still live there. He's like, Mate, I just go check on the restaurant, go down to Burley, go for a surf, see mum and dad, come back and I was like, Wow, that's he's just like, Mate, you could do it like you could do it in Mullum, you know, you could just see mum and dad and this and that and and um that's kinda when the cog started uh yeah, just started kinda turning in my head. It didn't happen straight away, but it, um, it gave me a bit of, uh, and I started to, you know, really uh, think about kind of coming home then. And, you know, I think all the boys thought I'd be coming back to Sydney and, you know, like, uh, you know, getting back and going back into the crew and moving back into that apartment we built. And, and but same again, like, it's so funny, like talking to you, it's just like made a lot of things clear. And it's same again. It's like, well, Moving back to Sydney, is that going to be an adventure? Is that going to – am I going to meet new friends? Am I going to make a new – you know? And then I thought – that's when I thought again. I was like, what about Brisbane? You know, what about going to Brisbane and opening a restaurant and making new friends and living in a new, you know, like a, a new environment? And, and yeah, and that's kind of that, – that, same kind of this feeling kind of swept over me again and I said oh how about this you know and I came back and um it's been an, an amazing um journey as well and like talking to the guys in when I moved back and you know like two years ago they said did you did you have a crystal ball did you know what was going to happen you know <laughs> and I was like no I didn't you know and Meanwhile, you know, this pandemic and this Black Lives Matter, you know, riots were going on and, you know, it was like wild. And I guess, you know, that's the, another, you know, that the if you don't open these doors, they'll stop knocking and you never know what's going to be behind them. And so it's just kind of been like uh, just, just, you know, when trust your gut, you know, and just continue to, to, um, to, to live the life that you want to live and, uh, yeah, I feel like it's just you know this it's just paid off so far. So it's been a, it's been an amazing journey back in Brisbane again. You know, so so many stories. Well, Stanley is an amazing restaurant, and um, it's made an incredible impact on the city as well. And so has all the restaurants along that wharf. It's an incredible development. Tell us a bit about Stanley and um, what's it been like um, jumping into um, Cantonese cuisine and reaching into some of your heritage as well. It's one thing I always um, wanted to do, even after EP 
even though it was, yeah, I was in, integrating some Indian and some Chinese into it and some Fijian, it was still predominantly, you know, the, the, it was still Southeast Asian, you know, because I just could not swallow the term Pan-Asian in America. So I absolutely could never call it Pan-Asian. I'm like, what the fuck? Pan-Asian? Pan I'm like, don't call it Pan-Asian. <laughs> so it's still, you know, Southeast Asian. And um, I really love, you know, I think maybe I took 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 this from admiring Hongi's work, you know, where he's never, like, painted himself into a corner of cuisine, you know, where sometimes, you know, working working at Long Rain and, and, you know, Marty, Marty was an amazing Italian chef. He's an amazing, he can cook German food. He's like, you know, he can cook some, he worked in Tuscany, you know, he can cook some serious um, European food, but he's the, he's the long range chef, you know, so he's the, he's the Thai chef, you know, so um, it was kind of, I always wanted to, not that that's a bad thing, but I was like, maybe I should try to, you know, like really extend my repertoire of cuisine and that way I can, you know, ping pong between a lot of, you know, I fell in love with Mexican food when I was in LA and I, that's something I still want to do. So I was like, I need to kind of like really try to figure out how to extend my restaurant repertoire in that way then, you know, I, I can have a broad range of cuisines that I hopefully can master. And um, this side in in Brisbane was, you know, without even doing anything, it looked like a traditional Cantonese restaurant in on on the on Stanley Bay in in Hong Kong. You know, it's this. It was an old um, water police headquarters with a terracotta roof and you know all the beautiful architraves and yeah yeah very colonial. And, you know, people come down and go, wow, you made it look like a traditional Chinese restaurant, but that's it, you know, and right on the water, you're looking towards the city. And this restaurant, it was just, mate, if, if, if it wasn't a Cantonese restaurant, oh, my God, I don't know, you know, what, 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 you, would, what you would look at it as. But, you know, and then I, I came and I met with, the, met with the owners and they were, you know, they were completely, you know, psyched on, on a, on a Cantonese restaurant there. And I was just like, man, if we don't do it, it's, it's, you know, this, this opportunity will never come again. So, you know, working with this amazing team and, you know, it was just such a considered and beautiful restaurant. You know, one of the owners is owns a construction company. So he, he, you know, fitted the whole thing out working with amazing designers and, you know, truly was the, you know, the dream restaurant and the dream kitchen, um, to, to thankfully, you know, open you know, at least once in my life, you know, just, uh, just so just, just no expense spared and just, you know, just this unbelievable. I still walk in every day and I just, even doesn't matter how busy we are or how crazy it is or how much of a hectic day I have ahead. I sit in that restaurant and I have a coffee and it's like, oh man, things are actually, things are good. The things are all right, you know? So yeah, it's been, it's been cool. And it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful restaurant for sure. Mentoring and looking after the next generation is a real feature of what you do, even though you're still so young yourself, but the last two years have been pretty challenging. How have you kept your team motivated and on top of everything um, and interested in a career in, in hospitality? Um, that was like a really, it was, it was a really big, um, well, I think that, you know, it, it, it was a, 
I knew once everything started happening with COVID, I knew that I needed to, to, to look after the guys that had opened Stanley with me. It hadn't been open long. Um, and I knew, you know, some people thought the world was going to end, um, but I knew we would all have to go back to the restaurant and open back up and, and the struggle would be real. Um, and during that big lockdown, the first lockdown um, a couple of years ago, I basically, once it was like, oh, you can have 10 people at your house and, you know, da 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 soon as that news came out, we had a, you know, through the lockdown, we had a group chat with all the, you know, text messaging and all the chefs that were there. And then as soon as that kind of 10-person and 20-person thing, you know, I had them straight over to my house. We, you know, did a big barbecue, fed them, had beers, had everything. And, and um, I knew because I knew they would, you know, I knew they needed something to, to hang on to some some a light at the end of the tunnel like yes i still got a job yes i'm going back to stanley yes there is light at the end of the tunnel and for me as well to once that you know once that hammer dropped then we could open i could depend on these guys to to come back and to to flip straight back into it and just hit the ground running you know so we just constantly were texting and sharing kind of ideas and, you know, like um, where we're eating and what we're watching and, you know, so what we're cooking at home. And then that way, you know, it's, uh, I think it was really good for, for their mental kind of stability to, to know that, yep, I'm going back with Louis and we're going to, you know, everything's going to be all right. And then for me as well to know that, you know, as a chef, you know, you know you're only as good as your team. You know, you can be the best chef in the world, but if you don't have any – you know, any really great, you know, chefs in the kitchen with you, you know, it's impossible. So that was always, at, at the, you know, at the back of my mind. And just like we thought, you know, it opened and, and then we just hit the ground running and opened back up. And, uh, you know, I think it's just kind of like those, that first day when I walked into Long Grain, you know, if, if Marty didn't take me under his wing or... Um, you know, welcomed me with, with open arms and Luke Powell in the in back kitchen, like maybe I wouldn't be where I am today. So I feel like it's my duty and my responsibility to be able to, to pass that on to, to young chefs and young cooks and young kitchen hands in, in, in my team to, to be able to maybe hopefully, you know, change, change the trajectory of their life for, you know, for, for years and years to come. You've had the most extraordinary career and now you're a really big part of the evolution of Brisbane's um, food scene. What, what do you love about what you do? Um, I really love the, the just kind of the connection to, to everything, you know, and that's why Cantonese food's been, been a pretty amazing experience and having cooking Cantonese food in Brisbane is, you know, I think it's almost like a match made in heaven where, um, just using this amazing produce, amazing seafood, amazing farmers, amazing Asian vegetables, and and supporting and connecting with with all the the produce that's in this area. You know, like I use beef from Stockyard, and I've become really amazing friends with the whole Hart family, who are, you know generations of beef farmers out in Toowoomba and. And another, you know, amazing kind of Asian grocer producer, Michael from Taihua, who his kids just kind of 
ended up being exactly the same age as my kids and our wives get along and we go out to the shop and he supplies me all of my, you know, Asian groceries and meeting really amazing, you know, fishermen and being able to utilize their product in the kitchen as well. And I just love like that, that same again, just back to that connection and that camaraderie and, um, and just, you know, not, you know, not making the, the everyday mundane job of cooking and serving and cleaning up and coming back, just making it, you know, just, just still loving and riding this kind of wave and spark that is still burning inside of me in the industry. So I just kind of, yeah, I just, I just love that. Um, you know, I think it's just same, just connections with, uh, with anyone in the industry, whether it's chefs or delivery drivers. I love having a yarn with a delivery driver, you know what I mean? Like, I just enjoy it. I just, I just truly still enjoy being in the kitchen. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. I still love it. Well, man, I, I love catching up with you for a chat. It's always entertaining. You've always got a story to tell. Um, <laughs> we've loved having you on the luminaries on Deep in the Weeds today to hear just a little bit of your story. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. No, absolutely. It was great. Nice to, nice to chat for sure. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.